Meditation. 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 Depending on the quality of my mind. You know, there's good days and bad days. I mean, I feel like the waterfall of thoughts. Every now and then, a nice... I can't think of anything. This is Meditation in the City. The Shambhala New York Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Meditation in the City Podcast. My name is Francesca, and I'm your host. The title of this episode is Finding Our Heart. We will explore sensations of disheartenment through the Buddhist teachings of bodhicitta, or awakening heart. We learn to free ourselves of our own suffering by removing the fixation on ourselves and through loving kindness aspiration. Today we are joined by Rick Redondo. Rick Redondo is a teacher in the Shambhala Buddhist lineage and leads meditation courses, retreats, and corporate workshops in New York City and around the Northeast. He co-founded the New York City Heart of Recovery Group nine years ago. He is a Shambhala mentor, selected and trained to work with students through in-depth, ongoing, one-on-one sessions that include meditation instruction, path guidance, and mindful living coaching. He's an active filmmaker, actor, and musician. Here's Rick to take away the discussion. In uh, meditation, there's obstacles to meditation. That They've written down, many meditators for thousands of years have written down, why is it difficult to meditate? What gets in the way? It can feel really good, it's great, and yet somehow we oftentimes kind of avoid it. Right? You know, it feels good, well, you know, I really got to clean the sock drawer up this morning. Or, you know, I'll get to that. I'll get to it. I'll get, I'll, I'll get to it. I'm really busy today, though. I don't, I don't have time to sit down for five minutes or ten minutes. So that biggest obstacle in meditation is essentially avoiding meditation. And that's uh, called what they would call laziness, typically. It just means avoidance. You don't want to meditate. It could be simple laziness, like it's just too much effort. I just want to sit on the couch and... You know, watch TV and I don't really want to bother to get up and get in a chair and do all that. It could be simple laziness. It could also actually be being too speedy. I don't have time. I really got a, I really, I got 20 items on my agenda today, so I can't, really just can't take 10 minutes to sit. But then the third one they talk about is an obstacle, actually is being disheartened. Being disheartened. And then if you're disheartened, you won't meditate at all. So it could be something like, uh, I don't know, what's the point? I'm just a screwed up bad person and it's never going to work out, so why, why bother? Or, I can't get this right. Or The world's all screwed up, what difference does it make? People have betrayed me. There's no point. That's a common experience, apparently. And what was interesting was that it could, perhaps, could be a simple experience. If you noticed, you could simply say, oh, I'm feeling disheartened. That's actually not what, if I actually practice meditation, the meditation says, no, I'm basically good, I'm basically wise, I'm sane, the moment is good the way it is. If I actually meditate, that'll go away. So it could could be simple. So the simple solution to disheartenment is to simply notice that and go, oh, okay, I'm feeling disheartened. I'll just work with my mind. I don't believe this stuff is, these thoughts are attractive. These disheartened thoughts are attractive, but 
they're not the ultimate truth. And I could simply notice that and come back to my practice. Uh, but sometimes that's harder than others. So it could be, could be easy. Has anybody ever dealt with stuff like that in their practice? Sure. Has it blocked you completely from being able to practice at times? No. You've been able to put it down? Yeah. Turn, great, great. Very good. Well, sometimes we, could, we might get disheartened, you could say, on bigger levels, where it's not so easy to let it go. I kind of been going through that. <laughs> I had a 10-year disheartenment. You had a 10-year disheartenment. Thank you very much. Sorry. Anybody else? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, good. Good. Thanks. Um, so sometimes it's harder to deal with. And that's okay, too. Uh, we're fortunate in uh, meditation in that we've been given... Uh, A roadmap and tools and people who've walked this path for thousands of years and uh, understood that everybody falls in these traps and that they can be dealt with. So it takes some energy and it takes some effort sometimes to get out of this trap of being disheartened. Um, so that's the first thing I guess to realize is that it does take some energy. Does to, it will take some practice or some work. It, left to itself, it may not correct itself. Left to itself, we may just want to stay sort of stuck. The world sucks. There's no point. Why bother? So we need to apply some energy, some wakeful energy, you might say. Shambhala, we sometimes refer to that as wind horse. We need to apply some energy into our practice, into our viewpoints, into working with our mind, and perhaps into working with the world. So this concept of working with our um, working with our disheartment, or f- I should say, finding our heart, finding our heartenment, <laughs> you might say. There's kind of a couple aspects of that, you might say. First of all, there's like a personal aspect of that. In, in Buddhism, we refer to that as Hinayana. That's the, found, the basic, uh, the foundational path of Buddhism, which is about working on yourself and alleviating your own suffering, feeling better about being alive. Uh, so we work on ourselves, and that's our foundation. Everybody comes to Buddhism probably to work on themselves in the beginning. Maybe not everybody, but most people probably do, and that's, that's awesome. The next level of working with our mind is what's called Mahayana, which is greater vehicle. Maha being greater, Yana being vehicle. Hinayana, the first one, was smaller, foundational vehicle. Mahayana, greater vehicle. That means, um, by greater vehicle, it's a path of uh, helping others. That we could, and naturally would want to help others through waking up. It's a natural foundation of starting to, if, if we start to feel a little less suffering and pain and we work with ourselves and this works, then we want to help other people do the same. In uh, Buddhism, the, uh, this awakened heart, this opposite, you might say, of being disheartened, this awakened heart is called bodhicitta. Bodhicitta. Bodhi means awake, and citta means mind or 
heart, you could also say, because heart and mind are kind of the same thing in Buddhism. They're not. It's, this is not your mind, and this is this is all your mind. Your mind and your heart are together. And this awakened heart or mind is essentially, you could say, a natural byproduct of the meditation process. When we let go, when we open out into, into the present moment, we naturally awake. And there's a natural sense uh, of wakefulness. And that naturally wakeful sense has heart, compassion, and intelligence. It's oftentimes referred to as um, a classic analogy for this awakened heart or mind in meditation is uh, a buried treasure buried treasure. It's as though we feel like paupers. When I felt disheartened lately, or when I have felt disheartened, I feel uh, as though I'm a pauper, and I live shabbily, and things don't go my way. And whatever it is that I want, I'll I'll never find, or I don't know, it's got to be someplace far off. And the idea with bodhicitta is that just below the surface of where you're at, just just below the ground, just a maybe just a few feet buried below the ground, is this hidden treasure. And that hidden treasure is our awakened heart, our awakened mind, that wants to help others, that cares, that is compassionate, that understands, that wants to do something, that can do something, just below the surface. I really love um, this little quote from Shanti Deva about it. Shanti Deva, in the way of the Bodhisattva, quite a long time ago, he wrote about Bodhicitta. Just as with a blind man finding a jewel in a heap of dust, thus, somehow, Bodhicitta has been born in me. For travelers wandering the paths of existence, seeking happiness from objects of enjoyment, it is supreme bliss near at hand, the great feast which satisfies sentient beings. So being heartened, being heartened, that's this path, finding this awakened heart that's a buried treasure. And it's already there. That's part of the idea. That's not something we have to create. We don't have to create a good heart. We just have to kind of uncover it. This, these practices of meditation and these contemplative practices uh, unearth that treasure and take us into a more heartened state, particularly when that's hard to come by. So how do we do that? you might say. How do we actually uh, make that happen? That sounds, sounds good. Sounds pretty good. Right? I mean, I don't know. Maybe not, but <laughs> sounds pretty good to me. Um, well, there's kind of two, two, two sort of aspects to um, this awakened heart, this heart that wants to help others, that isn't just fixated on itself, that's free, free of its own suffering. Sort of like two aspects. It's called aspiring 
to help others, aspiring to be wakeful. First you have to want to do that. And then you can actually maybe do that. First you have to kind of wish. You know. And it, it makes sense. I mean, if you say to yourself, well, you know, I could, I could try to help others, but eh, I, I don't care. You're not going to do it. It's, it's not going to happen. You, first you have to want to do it. And you have to look at yourself and see, well, how difficult is that? We all have limits and we all want to help sometimes and sometimes we don't want to help. And that, that's fine. But this, so the practice is about, do I really want to do this? Is this something I really aspire to? So first we have to, we have to want to do it. Until we really want it, it's not going to happen. Then, if we can develop that vision of wanting, which seemed like what Joaquin was talking about to me, like in a vision, once we can aspire to that, then we can actually do something about it. We can actually help people. Um, that's a very broad path in uh, in long path, the Mahayana path, and a brilliant path in Buddhism. Uh, so tonight I'm just going to stick up to the idea of how do we start to want to do it. Because that's really the first step. How do we explore that wanting? And there are four... Uh, rather large practices that are done to help rouse this mind, this bodhicitta, the wakeful heart and mind, the, uh, the heartened space. There's four practices. They're called the four immeasurables. And um, they would be uh, loving kindness practice, compassion practice, uh, joy, uh, and equanimity. Uh, and they're a profound and uh, brilliant path. But they usually start with this loving-kindness aspiration. So we're going to talk about that, I think, today. Loving-kindness aspiration as a way to rouse that sense of awakened heart. How can we do that? How could we... I know now that I, I, I've been disheartened. That's sort of the first step to notice, like, oh, I'm disheartened. Okay, well, what do I do about that? All right, well... There are these teachings. Well, if I'm lucky, like I said, I can just notice that, let it go, and immediately be hardened again. So if that works, great. If that doesn't work, all right, well, now what do I do? Okay, well, there is this whole uh, practice of uncovering my wakeful heart. How do I do that? Oh, okay, let me try working with um, this bodhicitta practice, this aspiration of wanting to open up, to wanting to be hardened. And it, it's really a rather simple, um, really a rather simple practice in, in some ways. It's based around the idea: may all sentient beings enjoy happiness and the root of happiness. So may all beings. Sentient means I guess just that you have a nervous system or something. That you're a weak, living being. May all sentient beings enjoy happiness and the root of happiness. It's just a wish for others to be happy. It's pretty simple. You don't have to do anything about it. You don't have to go out and like shake every hand and buy everybody a, an ice cream cone or shovel your neighbor's uh, snow out of the driveway necessarily. You don't have to do that. It's just a wish. It starts with just a, a, a wish. And it says the happiness, so you wish them happiness, and that could be on any level, your levels of happiness, it could be on their levels of happiness, too. Even if you don't agree with them. This guy loves to smoke. 
well, I don't agree with smoking, but if it makes him happy, I'm going to wish him to be happy. If that includes wishing that he has the cigarettes that he loves, this is just a wish. He, he can be happy on his levels too, not just my levels. And then there's the happiness and the root of happiness. That's, that's a little more subtle. What is the root of happiness? Root of happiness from a Buddhist perspective would be being free of um, the ego, being free of the trap of wanting things for myself a certain way. Um, desire, aggression, ignorance. So freeing the self. So the root of happiness is a little deeper. You know, it's a little deeper, uh, perhaps. And it means that you have to believe in that, too. Like, if that doesn't make any sense to you or you don't believe in that, I don't want to worry about that. But the idea is that you'd wish happiness on them. On their level, on your level, the root of happiness would be on sort of, I guess, my level, I might say, especially if they're not a Buddhist. If they're not a Buddhist, they probably don't agree with what I'm thinking, but I'm wishing them happiness on every level I can imagine. It's basically the idea. And we'll actually do this practice a little bit. Um, it's contemplative meditation practice. That's a little bit different than a normal meditation practice. Normal meditation practice, you're not thinking at all. Contemplative meditation, you're taking the space of meditation, our mind and space that's created in our heart when we meditate, and we're mixing that in with thought. But thought that's on a specific intention, a wakeful intention. Uh, may all beings be happy. May all, enjoy, uh, may all sentient beings enjoy happiness and the root of happiness. We're mixing thoughts and space. So it's a little different. I'll actually walk us through that, so we'll do it a little bit. Because um, that's the point. The point would be that if we're stuck, we know what to do about it. We could do a practice. And then what might happen when the practice is done? You know? And the other thing about this practice is we, 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 we learn, uh, the practice is, is a, uh, the, uh, the loving kindness practice, Maitri, it's referred to as Maitri, that means loving kindness in uh, Sanskrit, or uh, metta, it's also referred to as metta practice in Pali. Um, you, we usually start with something that we feel uh, easy love and compassion for. So you start, you want to prime the pumps, you start with, you imagine uh, whatever is a, a person or a being that's easy for you, the easiest one. For me, it's like a cat, my cat. Think of my cat. I never get pissed at my cat. Well, occasionally, but... Pretty, it's pretty easy. So I start with that, and then I start expanding that circle. I expand it to myself. Uh, I expand it to somebody that uh, maybe I love, but maybe sometimes you love them, sometimes you're aggravated by them. Then you go to a neutral person, perhaps. And then you get more progressive, and you try to go to a person who's maybe a little challenging to us, that maybe causes a little difficulty or distress. We won't go too hard on that to start, maybe. And you can imagine happiness for all beings. And then you just let it go. And let the practice go. And this aspiring practice is designed to help us meet our minds, meet our hearts, see what our resistances and our stuck points are. And then perhaps if the more we work on aspiring, perhaps we'll be motivated to actually enter, to do, to do something, to do something to help people. But it has to start with the aspiring. Until we really want that, until we're really clear about that, none of that's going to happen anyhow. Do 
about questions on this loving kindness practice, Maitri, or contemplative meditation in general? Not necessarily a question, but I found for the first time I'm familiar with this practice and I've probably used it less than I'd like to admit. Um, but for the first time, I really felt myself connect with a feeling rather than uh, sometimes I explain things to myself in my own brain where I feel like I'm always keeping myself at arm's length. Um, whether because I feel like I should feel more or should feel less, uh, it changes. But um, I found myself resting with a warmth uh, without trying to pull on it more or quash it, um, which was new. Good, great. So that can arise, and it's a nice instruction because you realize that if that does arise, you can, you can simply rest in that and just be, you'd be aware of that, feel that. That's not always going to happen, so there's no judgment in that. Um, you may feel the opposite of that. This is the challenge of the practice, too. We start to move to challenging people. Hmm. You might get to the challenging person, and the thoughts might pop up, you know, fuck that guy. And Pema Chodron was asked that question. Mm -hmm. What happens when you do that? She goes, good. She goes, fuck that guy. Now let that go. Feel that. Notice it. Let it go. Now come back to, now may they be happy. May they enjoy happiness and enjoy happiness. So it, it could be challenging. So sometimes we may be able to rest in the feeling, and sometimes not. But it's a valuable practice either way. Or, the, but to be aware that this is a possibility. Yeah. But you don't have to push for it. Great. Yeah. Anybody else? Sure. I have a family member who has some not so positive ways of feeling happy and so I was, when I was thinking of them they were the person that was kind of half and half um, okay. and I was thinking of them being happy and I thought of them drinking per se and I was because that's you know that's the main time that I know of them being happy but it's not I guess what's what's an opinion on that that's a good question that's a good question there's I suppose two different, you, you might say there's a couple different ways that we could wish happiness for somebody. Right. One would be unconditionally, perhaps, yeah. just really wishing them happiness just for themselves, the person. Or, yeah. But then there's an, another one that's filtered through us, it's filtered right. through me a lot. Right. So, you know, for instance, um, I might have a family person that irritates me. So I might wish them happiness thinking, you know, that stop that irritating behavior, mm -hmm. you know, but really I'm kind of filtering it through, through me, my wants. Right. I really want to be happy. I'd be happier if they were this way. Right. <laughs> Am I really? So the key with this is not so much, for instance, if there really is something and you're wishing, it's, so it's a, it's, a, it's a, you don't have to wish somebody something Happiness on the, on a level if you, if you really feel it's destructive for them, like if, if it's going to kill them or harm them, and right. you don't need to do that. But it's an open invitation to think about. So if you feel if that makes you feel bad to wish them on that level, then that, that's probably fine. That maybe they really are harming themselves with that behavior. But oftentimes, 
we have a habit of kind of filtering our own wants and expectations and needs on the people. So this, this idea of on their own level, sometimes, sometimes it might be a problem and you might realize, no, that's probably not the way for me to practice this, but sometimes it'll open, you, open your mind up too. You'll be like, oh, well, if my mom wants to talk and talk and talk and talk, let her. Let her. Why not? Yeah. So it, it's a, it's a, it's a, um, it's it's a way of looking at where our mind could be held. But but it, we also wish on the root of happiness. So the root of happiness is probably not something that would harm them. Can I offer something else? Sure. I was just going to ask you think about happiness while thinking about well-being and like a stable happiness. Yeah, yeah, maybe for like a happiness that has like a stability to it, and so that alcoholism is kind of like this, like elation, which makes has a very unstable happiness, and it kind of gets you into this loop of happiness and depression. You know, right. so I yeah. think that's, I think if you're wishing and happy, wishing and for that stable happiness and that sense of, yeah, sense of well-being that. You know, and I think I think that well-being includes some sadness too. Like if if you had somebody that um, you was close to you and they died, and you were like skipping like happy, like that wouldn't be like healthy. You know, right. I think like that's not just want to add that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I agree with that. Um, it's a practice we're doing for ourselves. You know, to open up our hearts and minds. So. Um, you and in meditation in general, you need to be your own um, advisor at a certain level. I threw that I throw that out there as as a way to kind of because I've noticed and many I noticed many times that what I want for people, especially people that are close to me, is very tied to what I want, and that's not unconditional. But I but at the same time, you know, it could also be. What makes them happy might be destructive. You know, they're they're a, a dictator and they want to destroy the world. You know, I probably won't wish them that level of happiness. Probably not the way to go. But who knows? Anybody else? People done this practice before? You said you had. Anybody else done it before? It's familiar. New for some. New practice for you? Yeah. How was it? Strange. You know, to talk with specific people. Yeah. How was that? Um, what do you mean? You said it was strange, so was it... Painful or good or not so sure? I guess it was surprising that you know, there's people in my life that uh, like uh, various level, like different level of agree agreeableness. Some of them. Yeah. Difficult people and easy to get along with people. Yeah. And we could at least wish them all happiness. That's interesting too. You know, it's just a wish. 
Like it's unlimited. They call these immeasurables. This, this immeasurable loving kindness that we could wish this kind of love for everybody. Like everybody could, ha could have that. It's possible. Doesn't mean you have to go out there necessarily and do anything about that, but it starts with like, well, I could wish that for a person, even the one I find surprisingly irksome. song popped into my head. I didn't, at first I didn't remember where the line was from, but it took me just a second. I have been thinking about the song Revolution lately. I like that song. I think I want to do Revolution. I like that. I think it's a good time for that. But what popped in my mind was uh, with this Maitri practice is take these broken wings and learn to fly. We all feel disheartened at times. Or we all feel angry, or we all feel alienated. We all feel uh, put upon. We all have people that challenge us. The whole world can challenge us. But we can, through this kind of a practice, if we can notice that we're disheartened, if we can remember some teachings and some practices, we can actually do something about it all your life. You were only waiting for this moment to arise. Well, I guess we're pretty good then. Um, did you want to make an announcement about anything coming up? Or? Oh, okay, sure, sure, thank you. That's very kind. That's very kind, thank you. Um, I would say if people are new to practicing, you know, we try to recommend more frequent, regular meditation. So some people think, well, I can do an hour once a week, maybe a long session once a week, but we, we say, well, that's great, and you can do that great, but probably might be better to do 10 or 15 minutes more frequently, every day or every other day. It's a, it's a habit. We have habits of mind, so more regular, frequent practice is good. When we, we don't need to do this mind practice every time, but it's a good practice. I would say it's not in lieu of uh, shamatha, in fact, it usually requires shamatha to start and a little bit at the end. So, uh, but if you can work this practice in, uh, you know, as much as you like or when needed, <laughs> when, when disheartened, break glass, you know. And what would you say with, the, with this kind of antidote to disheartenment? What do you do? Are there like recommended like ideas for like antidotes for disheartenment or like ways of approaching that? I probably should have listened closer. Ah, uh, specifically. Well, yeah, I mean, Disheartment, I, I sort of made a bridge. Disheartment is a classic antidote to avoiding meditation. The, the first, the first, uh, well, no, no, that, that's misstated. Disheartment is one of the causes of avoiding meditation. The first obstacle of meditation is avoiding meditation. Laziness, yeah. we don't, we just say I'm not, I, I'm, not, I'm either too busy to meditate or eh, I don't feel like it, I just feel lazy or Disheartened. I, what's the point? So those are the three, considered the three sort of manifestations of not wanting to meditate, which is the first and most important obstacle. And really, the antidote is to notice that and then go meditate. Meditate on your disheartenment. Well, 
actually you might be letting go, right? Your thoughts. You sit down, you feel disheartened, you have these thoughts, everything sucks, thinking. Come back to breathing. Thinking, thinking. So you're actually you're just letting it go, really. So if it's easy, if it's that easy, sometimes it could be that easy. It could just be, hey, you know, meditation, it might be that easy. Like, oh, here I go again with that. Nothing ever works out for me stuff. I've been there before. Just let it go and sit. It could be that simple. But this practice was about, I think, a deeper level of rousing your heart when that's more difficult, when it's not so simple to just notice it. If you can just let it go, boy, it, can just go, it could just go like that. Sometimes it is that easy, and sometimes it's not. So this, this, this longer Maitri practice was more about how do we rouse our heart in a, um, a broader way. And if you guys are interested, these are great practices. They're called the Four Immeasurables. Um, but this Maitri practice is the sort of the foundation of it. It's a good, good place to start.